0: Welcome to Idaho Education Association's Hotline Podcast, a weekly discussion about what's happening at the Idaho Legislature around public education and the policy priorities of IEA's members. IEA members are public school educators from all over the state. They're Idaho's most important education experts, and they use their influence to fight for a free, quality, and equitable public education for every student in the state. I'm Mike Journey, Communications Director at the IEA, and I'll be your host for this episode of Hotline. Today, we discuss week four of the Idaho Legislature's 2023 session. Our discussion centers around bond and levy elections on March 14th and the proposed legislation to limit school district opportunities to put such measures before voters. We also discuss legislation expanding protections for educators from physical violence, a problem educators face all too often, and next week's hearing on the session's first voucher bill. Joining me for today's conversation are IEA Political Director Chris Perry and IEA Executive Director Paul Stark. Chris, Paul, thanks for joining us uh, for this the discussion about Week Four of the Idaho Legislature. Um, it's been uh, things are starting to pick up uh, quite a bit with the legislature. We've got a couple of bills that we want to talk about today, um, and we want to talk about them in context. In context, one at least one of them in context. Of what's happening in the real world? There's a bill that's come out. Uh, House Bill 58 to eliminate March and August uh, school election dates. Um, Traditionally, there's been four dates where school districts can come before uh, taxpayers in their district and ask them for bonds and levies. Um, uh, We have a bill here that's going to try to eliminate uh, two of those, one in March, one in August. In fact, we have an election set to go uh, this March. March fourteenth, um, and I I did a little bit of a little bit of research um, around what's on the agenda uh, for the for, for uh, the ballots around the state, and we've got uh, about sixteen districts that are going to be holding bond or levy elections, asking local taxpayers for around four hundred million dollars, right? And, we're, and we can talk about we can talk about bonds and levies and kind of the baked in nature they are have they have uh, with school districts. Uh, uh, budgets these days but first and foremost let's talk about this legislation have you have you heard much
1: about this bill what do you think about it Chris so I'm not excited about it uh, so the representative his justification was that you know elections cost a bunch of taxpayer money and why not consolidate them all into the ones that we have you know that are that everyone's most familiar with the primary elections on even years and the uh, general elections on even years to me I look at the kind of the broader landscape of governance in Idaho. And I look at how folks feel about the legislature, which is not great. I think they have pretty, it's a pretty low approval rating for the Idaho legislature, but then contrasting that with how people feel about their local government. Those local government elections are on odd years. They're kind of, they're out of the scope of the, the kind of more politically charged kind of general elections, national state general elections. And it's kind of similar with, I think, school levies and bonds. When you have these kind of unique Uh, local elections, the partisanship and the issue, the, you know, high level kind of ideological back and forth that, that doesn't really filter down to the taxpayer kind of gets filtered away and people have a much more, okay, the issue I'm voting on is my public schools. It's Mm -hmm. much more practical cuts through a lot of that other, you know, kind of, well, garbage really that we kind of deal with in those more, uh, those bigger elections where, you know, it is super politically charged. Um, and really gets people focused on the issue at hand, school
2: districts. Yeah, there was a day that um, uh, education was not political, if we can imagine that, but it has been so politicized. Remember, local levies, local bonds, those are local issues, and those are Uh, asking the community to support their public schools. Traditionally, of course, uh, supplemental levies were to buy new band uniforms or instruments. Um, You know, bonds were like, well, we needed to buy, you know, kind of work towards a new building or something of that sort. But now they've become survival levies and survival bonds. Really bonds are to keep, uh, you know, ceilings from falling in nowadays and levies are just to keep the lights on. And really when you, when you say that amount, 16 Mike with what, 400 million, is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, that isn't that just a barometer on how, uh, how, uh, the legislature has really, uh, Walked away from their constitutional responsibilities. That's right. We've talked about that a, a number of times on this
0: on this podcast about about the fact that they that local school districts rely on this money, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. They were they're originally intended to be for emergencies. They were originally intended to be for short term needs and things beyond the scope of providing an, an equitable and and foundational education for, for students. Um, and but they've turned into something very different. And I think one really good example that's on the ballot this March is in Coeur d'Alene. Um, we've been hearing from members there that are concerned about that election um, up there. Uh, they've got a bond measure on on the ballot that's going to, they're asking, for, the school district's asking for it to be in perpetuity for $25 million. Um, and that's uh, that's that's a quarter of the school district's budget. And if that doesn't pass, and, in, and if recent history is any indication, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough one to pass. There's 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 going to be significant programmatic cuts. There's going to be significant, perhaps, uh, educator cuts and, and also salary cuts to those who don't get laid off. So, you know, this really, I think, underlines how much of a of a systemic and endemic problem this is for our school districts. One thing I often hear lawmakers talk about, Paul, is is how. Uh, And I think this might be what this is aimed at is how school districts come back for second bites at the apple if they don't pass one previously. But at the same time, this is really about the desperate need for this funding.
2: Yeah, that's right. It's hard to say second bites of the apple when you when you haven't had your dinner. You know, um, of course, you want one more, more more than one bite. You're going to try to, because these districts are starving. These supplemental levies are survival levies, and in Coeur d'Alene in particular, any of the listeners that are listening to this should wake up and pay attention to this one because a failure to pass this levy in Cordellane. Uh, will likely mean some very draconian things happening to the school district. Um, Coeur d'Alene a fantastic school district and has been for many years. But there are some uh, outside of the school district, some uh, political, very politically charged uh, uh, entities that are working actively to defeat this levy, uh, which will only result in a degradation of the services that are provided to these students and the opportunities to provide to these students. Remember, let's not forget, we're talking about students here. We're talking about their, uh, uh, the future of, of the United States. We're talking about, um, you know, who pays your social security kind of thing. This is very, very important. We cannot neglect our kids.
0: Right. And, and Chris, we've heard from, from members up there that, that they expect if, if cuts do come, we're talking about, important programs like career technical education. We're talking about special education. We're talking about sports, uh, sports. Yeah. yeah
1: sorry. Thank you. I mean, music, <clears throat> art, all of that stuff is on the chopping block. Particular, I mean, this is a huge chunk of their budget. They just, they're going to have to, if it doesn't pass, they're going to have trouble just keeping the lights on, let alone staffing art, music, uh, band. Well, band is music, but sports and, yeah. and all the things you mentioned, like, and that's what's so kind of, when I think about bills like this, one. they, uh, going back to that one, like, If this is what it looks like when things become political, you literally have folks advocating for the destruction of art, music, sports programs. Imagine what it's going to look like if they they consolidate all of these issues into the May primary and the November general election. Imagine Mm -hmm.
2: all of that – well the issue becomes Political a lot less weirdness. local, doesn't it? I right. mean, I mean these are local. Exactly. This is a local community saying we're going to as a community support our school districts. Well now they're getting all tied into all of the national politics, all of the other statewide politics and it becomes a very much not a local issue at that point. And that's
1: kind of what I mean, that That's kind of what they want. Right. Like they anything they can do to put uh, distance between a a school district and the needs of the students there and the voter. They they want that. They they do want to see public funding go down for public education. We know that. And this is just a further kind of extension of another scheme to try and do that.
0: And for anybody who wants to follow along, it's, it's House Bill 58, and it was brought forward by Representative Alfieri. Um, and, it, you know, this is a, a quick rundown of some of the other items that are going to be on the ballot. You know, we, we have CUNA. Um, they're going to be going and asking for 111 million dollars uh, this year. They're one of the fastest growing districts, cities in the state, with the fast, one of the fastest growing districts, and they they have facility needs um, that they need to get to get out. And this is part of a t- uh, the start of a ten-year, apparently a ten-year uh, strategy that they have for funding uh, their growth out there. Um, we also have Nampa, who's asking for 200 million uh, for new schools and repairs of aging buildings. So again, uh, you know, this, these are fundamental cost for operating a school district, not nice-to-haves.
2: One of the issues we should talk about really is that a few years back, the legislature put in uh, some laws that really kind of put a gag order on school districts on their abilities to discuss with the public the need for these levies. And so what we have is we have districts just dying for survival. I mean, really looking at cutting just all of these programs, these important student programs, and they can't say very much at all about it. And then on the other hand, we have some groups, some politically motivated, politically funded groups out there that are hardcore fighting against it. And it's not really a fair fight. It's not a level playing ground at that point when um, there's people that can and just throw out any kind of allegation, And the district is just extremely limited on what they can even say. They can't even respond to some of those allegations. And this is, again, why I think the community really has to wake up and take a look at these things. Because if they really come see what's happening in districts, they'll realize some of the propaganda is absolutely unfounded. And then they'll also realize the hard work that these public educators are doing in their local district and how much the students are benefiting by it.
1: Yeah, all we got – you know, uh, our competitive advantage in these fights is people. That's what we got. The other side has enough money to pepper the whole district with mail and lies and all that stuff. We all we have is our members and the folks in the community who care about their public schools. so it's it's critically important that members can be that first uh, front in this fight for for our school fundings and our public school students. I mean, it's it's wild to think that, Art, music, sports are on the chopping block like this. And,
2: and educators need to talk about it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, like like uh, it, the time to be passive or the time for apathy is long past. Uh, they need to talk about it with their family members, with their neighbors, with their parents, and, and really let them know what's at stake. And going back to this
0: legislation that's here, it's going to limit our, uh, our our school district's ability to come forward and ask members um, or ask uh, the public about uh, about uh, taxing themselves for their schools. Um, and so we want to make sure that, that this bill uh, uh, goes down. Um, we're working on that, and we will keep folks uh, – uh, informed about where where it stands. Let's move on, then, guys. Uh, so another leg- another bill that we want to talk about um, is a-, a bill about violence against teachers, um, and it was brought forward by uh, Representative Chris Matthias, um, and it's co-sponsored by the Vice Chair of the House Education Committee, Lori McCann, as well as IEA member uh, Sonia Galaviz, um, who is representative from the Boise area. Um, and And this bill is going to expand protections to cover all public school employees who uh, who uh, experience violence currently. Currently, teachers are the ones. Educators are the ones. Or certified educators are the ones who are protected by this. Um, anyone who abuses a school district uh, school teacher uh, in the presence can be charged with a misdemeanor. This expands it a little bit, um, uh, and uh, and it also zeroes in on the definition about what. This abuse could be and it says to willfully and maliciously threaten, harass, coerce or intimidate and representative Matthias made a point of saying, you know, the the current legislation is a little more vague about what that even
1: means. So he's clearing that up. Chris, what are your thoughts about this legislation? Representative Matthias is a great, great ally to public educators. And so so is Laurie McCann, Representative Laurie McCann and uh, Representative Galavis. And this is a good, I think, starting place for uh, a bigger discussion about kind of de-escalating some of the behaviors that we've seen uh both uh from outside of schools and within schools too uh, obviously our member this is unfortunately not news to our members but uh teachers across the state face abuse from students and from members of the public particularly when uh education becomes uh, crosshairs for political opportunists um nationwide statewide so um uh, I, I really like this bill. It's also nice and short, which uh, as far as education policy goes, thank goodness. Um, and it, it does kind of expand the protections to all school employees, administrators, classified staff, uh, including teachers, and cleans up that definition of abuse. And I think it's a good foundation for, for more legislation on this subject.
2: Yeah, you know, on a quick note, too, uh, how refreshing it is to see Democrats and Republicans working together. I mean, mean, we need more of that. Like, the country's way too divided. And to finally see this kind of thing happening is just so refreshing, especially, too, in this notion, like – uh, I'm I'm curious how the votes are going to go on this because who would be in favor of abuse and intimidation and harassment of anybody? Like who would be opposed to this bill that seems like so natural? Like yes, of course we don't want educators to be abused. Of course we don't want educators to be intimidated. You know, so it's 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 remarkable that uh, we would see any opposition whatsoever to this. But I'm just I'm just I'm pleased as punch to see that we're finally hopefully in Idaho, getting past these partisan tribalism. And we're working towards a place where a sensible, rational, good-for-people, good-for-students legislation can come forward.
0: Yeah, it's also kind of a shame that it has to happen too, because it's something that we that we've, we 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 see too many headlines, and the headlines are simply the ones that, that we we know about and we hear about on a day to day basis. We've talked about it on this on this sh- on this uh, podcast before, where this is really uh, for most of our members. This is really about uh, educating kids in the classroom and the disruptions that happen as a result of it. Um, Often, we also I think I want to bring in the educator vacancy crisis that that Idaho is currently experiencing. You know, and one of the ways that we often talk about this issue is around uh, around the vacancy. Uh, Crisis is is the pay uh, situation and and how little pay they get. Um, this is re- this is really, uh, but it's really about the amount of pay that they get for the for the things that they have to do. Um and uh and and that's important. And that so this this brings back comes us back to the governor's pay package that he brought forward for the state of the at the state of the state and the importance of investing in all of our educators and the pay that we offer them so that we can bring more adults into the building, as Matt Compton likes to say, and and have them there to help. Uh, help when there is uh, uh, a crisis um, around behavior.
1: Yeah. I I think we've long heard from members about the two sides of the scale, kind of like you mentioned, right? There's, there's the pay and benefits and stuff on one side of the scale on the other side of the scale. It's uh, usually in the terms we, we hear from members is respect, right? Respect. um, And in that is, it includes things like abuse of of educators and harassment and um, um, all that stuff. And I think, like you said, they're just not getting paid enough to deal with the stuff they have to. So there's the the governor's side raise the pay, and on the other side, start making sure they're protected and and giving classified staff too the same same access to those protections. Um, so we're I'm hoping we're moving forward on both sides
2: of that scale. Um, yeah. The abuse has crossed the line. Frankly, it yeah. is it is long past the day to. Uh, to look out for the type of abuse that is happening to educators every day in the districts, and that's that's a that's a, that's something that absolutely needs to be addressed. But you're right, Mike. the the uh, The amount of pay you're given is. Commensurate with the duties you're asked to do. And it was hard enough already um, as an educator to um, educate kids, which is a challenging task. Anybody who doesn't think so, uh, take a day as a substitute teacher, would you please just one day go in and offer to substitute and you'll find out exactly uh, what this kind of job does, but um, the abuse needs to be stopped, and it needs to be stopped immediately. Um, what we find is not only are educators abused but certainly the administrators and even the school board members are 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 really abused when it comes to any attempt to uh, say this behavior is not acceptable and somehow we've got we've got ourselves to a place where uh, uh, educators are expected to tolerate any and every behavior, no matter how bad it is, and uh, take it with a smile on their face for less than uh, you could make at McDonald's. And that's just, uh, frankly, a bad place to be. So um, I'm I'm really happy to see this coming about. And my hope is this will encourage our educators to stay in the profession.
0: All right, guys, so let's talk a little bit more about vouchers. We do have Tammy Nichols' voucher bill uh, is before us um, this week. Uh, we, there was a hearing set for Tuesday, um, and we've talked about this bill uh, pretty significantly. we talked about vouchers pretty significantly. Um, uh, the sponsors of this legislation like to call it an education savings account, which we all know is, is code word for a voucher. Um, and so, uh, yeah, Paul, you're going to be you're going to be testifying on behalf of our members uh, on Tuesday during this hearing. And uh, what are you going to tell them?
2: Well, absolutely, uh, it's it is a voucher, and that's the thing is is uh, the proponents of this bill know full well um, what the terminology means, and they're trying their best to you know it's voucher proponents trying not to use the word voucher. But any time that you see uh, taxpayer dollars being funneled. Even if it's through a third party, it's being funneled to pay tuition at private schools. Ding, 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 ding. That's a voucher. And let's not be dissuaded by uh, the the talk of those proponents. But mostly I'm going to talk about accountability. And that's really a huge issue uh, that everybody needs to understand is these taxpayer dollars have – essentially zero accountability. It is a a handout uh, mostly to wealthy individuals, mostly to those that live in in urban areas. Uh, The the rural districts don't see any of this money. In fact, they'll see a drain from their districts that will flow, and we've talked about this before, but accountability means that there's not an elected official that can be held accountable if these monies are spent uh, improperly. We see that in traditional schools. We see that in charter schools. We see that everywhere. But in this instance, it is – the proverbial blank check. And once that money goes, guess what? You taxpayers, you have no clue how it's being used or why it's being used. You don't uh, uh, get to understand if they're meeting any kind of particular criteria or curriculum or standards or anything. And this legislature has been hardcore about teacher accountability, about school district accountability for ages now, for, for a decade or more and all of a sudden, we're ready to write the blank check. It just makes no sense.
0: And even if taxpayers could understand what's happening with this tax, these tax dollars, and if they decide they don't like it, they have no recourse whatsoever. There's no way to unelect somebody. There's no way to, to deal with it unless, unless they go after state lawmakers who decide that they, vouchers are a good idea. Um, th- there's not really any recourse, uh, recourse for them at all. So. Well,
1: it's never been repealed thus far in any of the states that have passed it, even when the budget's explode I mean Arizona mm-hmm. is is a testament to this Wisconsin as well Wisconsin where you got the oldest voucher program in the in the country the tax property tax dollars have gone through the roof and so I mean we've talked about this before but like it's it's wild to talk with one side of your mouth about property tax relief and then the other with vouchers these are these are mutually exclusive programs one causes property taxes go up no matter however you square it it's gone up Every state that passes vouchers and every state that passes vouchers, the ratchet goes one direction and that's bigger, 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 bigger and less funding for public schools that the local communities have to pick up the tab for. And most of those local communities that are picking up the tab, rural, already underfunded, same problem we have here.
2: Absolutely. I've, I was speaking to someone yesterday who was uh, telling me about Arizona and uh, the amount of tax increases that they are going to experience just to fund their voucher programs is phenomenal. And there's some that estimate it could be close to a billion dollars here very soon in Arizona to pay for their voucher program. I mean, that's the, uh, that's the exact opposite of what most of our legislators talk about, which is lower taxes and lower government, what we're creating as a bureaucracy And a tax scheme that uh, we will never get out of. And
0: you juxtapose that against the earlier conversation about bonds and levies and Coeur d'Alene looking for survival money, right, Uh, versus this kind of a program that's going to take even more money away from public school classes. We have
1: this awesome college student in the office doing work for us uh, through a fellowship program. And uh, the way she put it this morning was, uh, you know, so you got a pothole. And we keep on through these bond and levy elections. We keep on just replacing tires constantly, constantly, constantly make the car run. And what if we just filled the pothole? What if we just funded our public schools? Sheesh. Ugh, I get fired up, guys. I don't know. <laughs> Good
0: point. It is. So – Nichols' bill is going to be up on Tuesday. We'll be there to uh, to register. Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) Our so romantic. Our discontent. Our members' discontent with such legislation. Our members are vehemently opposed to any voucher bill, and uh, so they're going to be uh, they'll be well represented by by Mr. Stark here. So, Um, so Chris, we wanted before we logged off, we wanted to talk a little bit about local lobby days. Um, uh, on on the On the sixth, we had Valley View and Caldwell at the state house talking with lawmakers. I, I I believe you had an opportunity to spend some time with them tell us a little bit about what they did what who they talked to what were they talking about
1: yeah so they were they were talking quite a bit about vouchers they they got to quite a few of their uh, senators and representatives from that area um and some really great conversations happened i mean they they talked to some of the most conservative people in that area um and now those folks those same senators are uh they're still kind of on the train of, of some of these social issues but they're kind of also talking about how cool the Valley View and Caldwell teachers are because they are extremely cool, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we got some really great feedback um, from the educators and from the the legislators that I've I've spoken to in follow up conversations and stuff. So um, yeah, I couldn't be prouder of those educators. They're doing a great job out there.
0: So these local lobby days are, 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 are working. They're hit. And that's, you know, that's the whole intent is to get educators in front of lawmakers so that they can talk about their day to day and what, how, how the issues and the policies that, that the legislature is considering impact them in the classroom.
2: I would like to say, too, that one of the most powerful tools that uh, those that are listening to this have is to tell your real life stories. You know, the propaganda out there and the speculation and all that, we've seen that over and over and over again, just dog whistles about social issues and things like that, that have no basis in reality, certainly not in Idaho. Um, But you educators that are listening, please tell your story. And that means getting on your social media account and telling your actual story. Obviously, you don't You know, including student names and things like that. But what you do is you say, "This is the reality I face. These are the kind of things I'm looking at. These are the kind of things I'm funding out of my own pocket. These are the textbooks that I'm using. That reference to uh, the uh, you know George W. Bush administration as the current administration. This is the kind of stories you need to tell because you're you're working so hard out there. You're doing your best, and you're doing a great job. But the, the general public doesn't understand exactly what, what's, what's happening. And so we need you to tell your stories. So any of those that are inclined to do so, that are listening, please, please, please tell your story. We need that. And if,
0: you, and if you're, you're interested in having your local... Come, we still have time probably, and some vacancies here later in the session, Chris. For oh, yeah, for for any of the IEA locals that want to come for a local lobby day um, on March twentieth, we have Gem County Education Association and the Cashew County Education Association that are going to be here, um, and also Idaho Falls Education yep. Association as well. So uh, we've got uh, three that are going to be here on the twentieth. That'll be a great uh, opportunity. Um, and uh, but if you're interested, uh, and our members are listening, uh, talk to your Local, local president and uh, it's on, this is something that your local should be
1: doing. Absolutely. It's such a good opportunity to, I mean th- some of these extremely conservative legislators that I mentioned, like I do want to meet with them, but it, there's a hurdle there. And to have educators kind of get in there and t- share their stories and start like actually relating to these folks and having good conversations and building good relationships makes my job way easier and helps education policy get better over time. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, thank you once again for joining thanks, us for this uh, for
0: this episode of the Hotline Podcast. Thanks, Mike. You rock. Yep, thanks. Thank you for listening to Idaho Education Association's Hotline Podcast and this discussion about week four of the 2023 legislature. Thanks as well to my colleagues, Chris Perry and Paul Stark, for joining me. Please watch for future updates about new episodes on IEA's social media channels or sign up for email updates on our website at IdahoEA.org. I'm Mike Journey, and as always, I hope you join me in thanking Idaho's public school educators for everything they do for our state's students, families, and public schools.